Hey everyone, it's Caleb. I'm so excited that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I am honored to be joined by Dante Stewart, and we had such a fun conversation today. He has recently released his brand new book called Shouting in the Fire, an American Epistle, and we're going to get into that uh, a little bit. But before we do that, um, I do want to say, if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, you picked a great episode to listen to, first of all. Um, but I do want to tell you two things, really two core beliefs of this podcast that uh, that drive a lot of what we do here. And the first is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. Because as you've probably gone throughout life, you've realized, as I have and as many other people have, that there's just some topics that you just can't talk about with certain people because of... Uh, their reaction to it because of their response to it. And maybe because you're afraid of being judged or maybe maybe in some cases you're afraid of bringing it up because you know that if you bring it up that it has the potential to maybe end the relationship that you have with the person. And that can be very scary to do. Especially, and then on the other end of things, but you still want to learn and continue to grow and learn from other p- people's perspectives. But maybe you don't feel like you have somebody who you can learn from in that. And so for me, one of the things that has helped me a lot in that is things like podcasts and being able to have those conversations whenever I didn't feel like I necessarily had uh, a lot of people that I could have these conversations with. And so the first one is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. The second one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone and from anything and from everything, regardless of whether or not we agree with that person completely or in some cases, whether or not we agree with them at all. And we truly believe that that sometimes it's learning from their example of how they do things, and sometimes it's learning from their example of what not to do because of the failures that they went through, or because maybe in some cases they experienced, like this is another thing that I'm thinking about right now and trying to learn from people. Sometimes they experienced success, and maybe it wasn't the success that they were hoping from, and learning from that person as well and what they have to offer. And so this is why I'm so excited to talk with Dante, just because like one, it's a great book. I was reading through the book and I mentioned this in the interview. He does such a good job of like, he lay, he lays it all out there of just what he was thinking and feeling and and some of the things that were driving him in that. And his, his vulnerability in it is... Um, so admirable and it's the type of stuff it's the type of vulnerability that i try to shoot for whether talking about these podcasts or in the works of art that i'm trying to create as well and uh and so i'm looking forward to bringing this conversation to you um i do want to say a quick note if you're listening to this podcast and you've been listening for a while and you have something that you would love us to cover on the podcast um please hit me up at learners corner gmail uh, learner's corner. Yeah. Learner's corner. Uh, at I actually, let me, I think it's learner's corner podcast at gmail.com. Correct. Learner's corner podcast at gmail.com. And I would love to hear some of the stuff that you're learning from as well. We have, um, some episodes coming up to where I'm going to be. And I just did one recently, but we got some more coming up to where like, I'm just kind of reflecting on some of the things that I'm learning from. And I think we're kind of going to go with the it being called the library because it's some of the 
I'm literally pulling from my library of things that I'm learning from and sharing it with all of you and some of my takeaways as well. And so uh, hit me up, Learners Corner Podcast at gmail.com. Or if you just have any questions or anything, would love to hear from you there as well. Or if you have any uh, constructive or helpful feedback to the podcast, would love to hear that also. So yeah, let me tell you a little bit about the book and uh, Dante as well. Let me let me just describe what this book is about. Uh, a stirring meditation of being black and learning to love in a loveless anti-black world. Now you may listen to that and there, there may be some resistance that come up to you and I just want to remind you, hey, we learn from anyone and from everyone regardless of maybe you feel like you're going to listen to something and it's like, hey, I don't completely agree with it. We can learn from Dante. And Dante, man, like I said, this is just such a fun conversation. I'm so looking forward to jumping into it here in just a moment. But let me let me tell you a little bit about Dante. Dante Stewart is a writer and speaker whose voice has been featured on CNN, The Washington Post, Christianity Today, Sojourners, The Witness, a black Christian collective, which founded by Jamar Tisby, uh, who we had on the podcast earlier this year, Comment Magazine, and more. As an up-and-coming voice, he writes and speaks into the areas of race, religion, and politics. He received his BA in sociology from Clemson University, and he is currently studying at the uh, Candler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. And so that's a little bit about Dante. And without any further wait, here is my conversation with Dante Stewart. Well, Dante, I am so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner today. Hey, Caleb. So good to be with you, my brother. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, anytime that I talk with somebody who has uh, released some form of art, in your case, it happens to be a book, I love hearing the story behind behind the book or behind the work of mm. art. And so mm. I would just love, just as we're getting started, what's mm-hmm. the the series of events or the thing that made you go, hey, I need to write Shouting in the Fire? Yeah, dang, bro. That's actually a really good question that, like, I don't even know if, like, for me, like, like, I don't even know if I've, like, like really taken time to kind of even think about that, you know, just because, mm-hmm. I mean, I was writing through the pandemic. So I was writing in 2020 um, yeah. uh, or whatnot. So I'm writing through the pandemic. I'm writing uh, through protests. Uh, I'm I'm writing through just even my own kind of problems and my own individual personal life. Um, and things like that. And so I guess in some sense, bro, it was just, you know, of uh, a compilation uh, of just catalytic moments, uh, both publicly and personally, that really was like, yo, you know, um, yeah, this, I think this is the book to, 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 to write. And what's interesting, bro, is like in 2019, I self-published a book. So I released um, a, a, a devotional in 2019. So I was just like, you know, I was just like trying it, trying it all out. And really the story behind that was I was in Starbucks one day and when me and my wife was living in California and I met this sister and I was like, dang, bro, you look like a writer. So let me, uh, let me just say like, Hey, or something like, cause at that moment I was already kind of writing in public and things like that. And you know, like that vibe, you know, that vibe when you like, 
you like walking somewhere and you can kind of tell, okay, this person might do this uh, or whatnot. Yeah. And if they don't do this, then it's probably going to be a really good conversation. And so um, I ended up stopping her and talking to her. And lo and behold, her name was Vanessa Diffenbach, who wrote The Language of Flowers, which sold over a million copies <laughs> or whatnot. And then uh, that just developed a, a friendship for a season um, where she encouraged me. She was like, yo, you got to write. You just got to do it. You got to keep doing it. So uh, she was catalytic in me right, putting out that devotion and really believing that, okay, like, dang, like, yeah, I'm a writer. And I just kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. And then that's when, like, conversations started to happen. Like, yo, you might need to write a book um, yeah. or, 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 or whatnot. And then, like, you know, then you got to actually write the book. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's probably the beginning of how we even think about, you know, the process of, 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 of yeah, how did I come to write this book? This particular book, Shouting in the Fire, was really in the trying to make sense of so much that was going on my own type of way and as honest um, oh, yeah. a way as possible and not like this kind of triumphal note of hope. That just yeah. was not the type of writing that I wanted to do. Yeah. Like just reading through the book, you you hit the nail on the forehead. You are so honest and vulnerable. And and that, and I would just love to hear um, like what was it like like working through that? Because you know, you have to work through it yourself to get even comfortable to the place to where it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put this out into the world for you know, hundreds, yeah. thousands, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, yeah. you know. Who were reading yeah. this book. And so can you just yeah. walk me through what that looked like for you? Yeah. yeah. First off, I hope tens of and hundreds of thousands yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm hoping so. I'm receiving that. You know, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna claim that. Yeah, we're just uh, speaking it into existence right yeah, here. I'm, claim, I'm claiming that one. I'm taking, I'm taking that. I'm putting that in my back pocket, bro. Uh, uh, uh whatnot. But uh, you know, I was reading uh Elizabeth, so really two books really were catalytic in me writing this book and well, really, I mean, honestly, there was a lot of books, but like four main, okay, I'm going to name four main books. Let's just dwindle it down to four main books. Uh, Heavy by Kiese Lehman. Um, uh, Breathe by Imani Perry. Um, the Black Interior by Elizabeth Alexander. And Men We Reaped by Jasmine Ward. And all four of those books in various ways, whether that was Kiese, and I, I, I literally can name the chapter in the literally, it was, it was when I was reading Seatbelts. Well, it was also Terrorist. Terrorist was actually, you know, one of the chapters as well. Uh, but particularly the chapter Seatbelts and the ways in which, like, like Kiese had this line where he was like talking about his daddy. And he was like talking about that relationship between his daddy and his mama. And it was like, yo, like more than my, than I needed a present father, my mother needed a loving partner. And man, when I read that, I couldn't write the same. I was like, I got to write more honest. But then like in Breathe, where Imani is talking in such beautiful ways about her sons, but in such like intellectually engaging ways about the world we lived in. And just the ways in which, like, experiences of faith and failure was so woven together in the narrative of Breathe, I knew I couldn't write the same. But then 
the way Jasmine Ward did not make any of her characters heroes in Men We Reaped. And the ways in which she talked about her brothers and friend, her brother and friend, and just the world that they lived in, just you felt it. Like you could feel the environment. Like, like literally, you could feel literally the death, the ugliness, but also the beauty and the brilliance and the creativity of that story. I knew I couldn't write the same. Yeah. And then Elizabeth Alexander, where she said about her job as a writer in the Black interior, she said, this story is mine. She had a line in there. I love that. Where I'm kind of paraphrasing it. But she says to the effect, like this story is mine and it's mine to write. I worry about what everybody else feel about it later. And so... It was those four books, bro, that really gave me both the framework and the courage to write in such honorable and vulnerable, honest and vulnerable ways that I knew that, like, it would take, like, a massive, massive, massive amount of support, but also therapy and faith to write. So, like... I don't even know if like, I don't even know what that will mean for me until people actually read it. Yeah. Like, I hope that like the honesty and the vulnerability produce something magical and beautiful and meaningful. But I also do know that oftentimes we give people pieces of their, ourselves that they don't know how to handle. And that can also oftentimes break either one of us in the process. And I hope that, you know, once people read it and once people get it, you know, I hope that they are at least, you know, tender and nice, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, about yeah. it. Well, even even me going through it, you know, per, uh, reading through it just to prepare for our conversation, I was reading through it. I was going like, okay, I need to go back and I need to slow down through this because of what you were saying. Like, it's yeah. so real and so honest and so vulnerable that like, uh, like, I'm just going to say, like, you're, you know, whenever you're reading the book, you're reading a great piece of art and you just don't want to rush through it. You want to take mm. it in. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, bro. Yeah. That, and, you know, that's what that's really as a as a writer, that literally is what I was trying to accomplish. You know, yeah. I wanted. I wanted people to feel each one of those writers um, that I'm deeply inspired by um, and the many, 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 many more writers, you know, yeah. That 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 right that I'm incredibly inspired by and 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 just take a part of their crafting and their creativity and their story with me. Um, but I wanted to write something that was uniquely mine, but that did not make me the hero. Yeah. You know, I think I think when you're talking about like the genre of memoir, um, I, I think the genre of memoir must. Like the writer must be as honest as possible about what they're writing about because we're writing a human story. We're writing, we're writing about our lives and the lives of other people. And we know each one of us to be, you know, I think, I think, I think Baldwin said it best. We try to deal with ourselves. Um, he's talking about humanity. We try to deal with ourselves. It's kind of slipping my mind, but it's almost as if he said, you know, 
deal with ourselves, the miracles, as, as the miracles that we are, but oftentimes the tragedies that we can become. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, I can't remember where that came from, from Baldwin, but that, that, and it's like, I can literally see it right now, yeah. but I can't like really make it out. But he's talking about the tension of living and being human um, that, you know, yeah, I try, I try to do as best I could and as an artist, you know, in that yeah. sense. Can you speak to that, ten, like that tension of what you were talking about over here? Because that's something that I've been thinking about recently is that we either, we either try to make everybody the hero or we make everybody the villain. And, it, and in reality, it's just what you were saying. We're human. And so yeah. some we're, we're mixes of both. Would you mind just yeah. speaking just a little bit to that yeah. and, and the importance of just real, like not villainizing everybody, but not like making everybody the great hero? Oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Now, I mean, I mean, we know it to be true. Like that's that's what we know to be true every day of ourselves. Like we know that, like you know, we know that we have our own personal struggles that we struggle with, and we also know that, you know, the society that we live in can make us, you know, the greatest of people and the worst of people. Um, we know that oftentimes, like the communities that we lived in, have power dynamics and hierarchies. Uh, that oftentimes marginalize certain people um, and make them and render them invisible and mute um, and and less than. Um, we we know that like oftentimes our greatest dreams and our greatest imaginations are oftentimes met with backlash. And what Kimberly Crenshaw so beautifully writes about regarding retrenchment uh, and and the ways in which she talks about race and law in American society. Um, and we we know those things to be true. And I think for each of us, we have a responsibility as writers to, to, to do as honest a work as possible when it comes to that type of, that type of writing. Uh, we, we want to write in the tension of living. Uh, we want to write in the tension of becoming better and more mature and more honest and more loving. Uh, and we can't become more mature, more honest and more loving if we don't have frameworks to understand the ways in which we're immature and unloving and dishonest. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is uh, you start out the book, and one of the questions that really stood out into there that you ask is, how do I be Black and Christian and American? Which, you know, me being a white man, that's not something that I had, you you phrased it in such a way that I had never thought of um, thought of that before. And so I would just mm-hmm. love your thoughts on, like, when you first when you first thought about that question um, and just kind of what that, what that reality is like for you. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it really, you know, that kind of, that framework of that question was very particular. Like as a, as a mm-hmm. literary device, it came, it came out of my reading of Audre Lord Zami um, around like page 170 something. It might've been like 140 something. She has this line where she said, I remember what it was like to be young and black and gay and lonely. And like she separates each one of those identities, not by a comma, but with and mm-hmm. in a way to almost like separate them, yeah. but show the ways in which they are joined together. So looking at all of those experiences, they're interlocking and they're interwoven in her own story but also ways of understanding how to wrestle with our own humanity. Uh, 
and what the world creates us and what what it creates in us and what it does to us and how it harms us. But the ways in which, as she would go on to say, the ways in which we learn how to recreate ourselves and reimagine what does it mean to be together and uh, the type of frameworks for healing and wholeness that we need to tell much better stories than many of the stories that we are offered. And so it kind of, that that way of understanding my own story and those three particular identities and experiences grew first and foremost out of reading Audre Lorde, uh, Audre Lorde Zami, but it also grew out of my own experience as well as you read in the book. You know, mm-hmm. woven in my book, you're going to see being Black, being Christian, being American. They're woven, that, that central question, you know, is woven within the book, but it's not woven in a way that I'm asking myself or anybody to answer it. That's the thing. I'm not asking any of us to answer that question, nor am I offering any type of answers to that question in this book either, <laughs> which is which which is going to upset some people, you know, which is going to upset some people because oftentimes when Black writers write about race, any, anything remotely to do with race or gender or sexuality or class or whatever uh, 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 or whatnot or anything that does not just simply have to do that that forces people to think about the world that we live in anytime black writers write about that you know or or or, or non-white non-straight writers write about that uh oftentimes it's like characterized as number one social justice number one and so when we devalue art to simply that, it frames people, people's lives, narratives, and artwork as simply teaching those who are in power to be better people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just simply characterized about, you know, how can you teach me about something that I did not know before so that I become a better person in the process without even having to risk to change anything about the world that we live in. So it's almost Imani Perry, Imani Perry and Breathe talks about race talk um, and writing as a sort of type of voyeurism. There's a certain type of erotic nature of uh, uh, towards suffering uh, and subjugation without changing anything of that experience that many people in power are addicted to. And so some people are going to be disappointed in my type of writing because I don't offer, you know, hey, here is like, like as a preacher, you know, I don't offer, hey, here's the text, here's some context, here's some application, here's a shout to take you home with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, you know it, 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 I mean, the book is very sermonic and it mm-hmm. does follow many of the kind of devices and things that we use in sermons and, and that's characteristic of sermons and things like that. But it does not offer, you know, any of those answers that so many people are looking for, but want to evade. <laughs> and that's the juxtaposition of it. And so, like, I think, I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just stop right there. That's kind of where I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and even even just to expound on that, there's, there's a couple of other lines uh, pretty early on in the book that really stood out to me. And then uh, you, you can elaborate and continue on yeah, gotcha. uh, with what we're talking about as well. Um, you write, we, we, uh, referring to yourself, we were walking into scripts that had already been written, and yeah. then like not even that much further. And this this one really hurt me because I uh, I grew up as uh, as a preacher's, I still am uh, a pastor's kid, and so 
in this, you also put quote and saying that someone said this to you, church. They called you church boy. Yeah. And you said, as pissed as I was, I felt the pressure of that name and the anxiety of losing it. Man, mm. can you, man, can you just speak to that, to, to the scripts and to yeah. the, the anxiety that comes around whenever we're handed a script and not living up to that? Yeah, wow. Now I forgot I wrote that, bro. I ain't gonna flex. Uh, <laughs> that, that sound that sound kind of good. I ain't gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I think so. So my background is in sociology, um, mm-hmm. and 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 my study right now, you know, deals with black text theory and theology. And so, so much of the way I understand the world and think about the world is rooted in you know certain sociological frameworks. And I think I think one of the metaphors that's very powerful and enlightening, um, and in some sense provocative, um, in, in in sociology is understanding life through 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 systems and life worlds and and the ways in which those life worlds and systems create stories that mm-hmm. we inherit. I remember reading a Nikki Giovanni poem not too long ago, and it's beautiful. Um, if people got a chance to um, uh, um, check out the Atlantic did an incredible series. Now it's a very haunting essay on mm-hmm. Emmett Till, probably one of the most, when I say one of the most brilliant piece of journalism I've ever read in my life was that essay in that series on Emmett Till. Um, but in that, in that series, which was entitled inheritance, um, Nikki Giovanni wrote a poem about what she inherited from her grandmother. And just the beautiful ways in which her grandmother created life and recreated and made it all over again. And the ways in which, like, the stuff of life, the material of life uh, was, was, was caught up in this beautiful drama of world building and world making that was beyond the logics of much of what white supremacy had done in the world and what white people were doing. And so... She, she is narrating this script, this story that gives her meaning in life. And so many of us, whether we realize it or not, each one of us have that, has that as well. We all have stories and scripts that we generate meaning, values, ideologies, practices, principles, et cetera, from. Um, and oftentimes that is a thing that we inherit. So we think about faith. Um, and, and traditions of faith and, and religious faith, um, you know, denomination and tradition. It's just simply uh, the ways in which people before us have tried to generate meaning within their own communities and the ways in which we have inherited their story and tried to keep their story alive. It's just simply denominational life. Mm-hmm. That's the whole aspect of creeds and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is the aspect of literature and artifacts that's been passed down. These are things, the stuff of life that remind us who we are, that ground us in life, in our own experiences, and our own stories, while also challenging us, hopefully challenging us, because that, that is not true of everybody. Not everybody is, 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 is um, given either the toolkit or framework or even given the freedom 
to critique and question the stories that we inherit. So that's something that we're not born with, but that must be built in us is the ability to understand those stories and those scripts and understand them in critical ways that we try and build a better world as Baldwin would talk talk about the world is before you and you need not leave it the way that you found it. Um, and so when I think about these scripts, I have to think about life that way. You know, I, as a writer, you know, that's how I build the world is I have to think critically about those scripts and I need to spend time with them. And I need to spend time with that particular type of inheritance that I have. Uh, if I hope, you know, as Baldwin would say, to not leave the world the same way that I found it, because the ways in which, you know, we found the world, uh, whether that be through college, whether that be through relationships, whether that be through religion, whether that be through, you know, sports, whether that be through art, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The way we found the world, you know, is oftentimes, you know, it's not that we, we it's, it's not always a be- beautiful experience, you know, if, if we're being honest. And so, yeah. You know, so as I think about these scripts that we inherited and these identities, you know, oftentimes it is wrapped up in anxiety because they're always wrapped up in what we feel like we have to prove about ourselves. So when I write about being in white spaces and acceptance and assimilation at the heart, that's about oftentimes trying to compensate for the trauma that either I was experiencing or the things that I felt in myself that I had lost or did not uh, contain. And so oftentimes our scripts and what we inherited and these, and these, the ways we make meaning in the world and the ways we write about our own stories, the ways we make sense of life, you know, is oftentimes caught up in what we prove we have to be. Like we have to prove we're better than we are. We have to prove that we matter. We have to prove our humanity, that our humanity is worth it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so whenever that type of proving is at the heart of my identity. Um, it would always, in some sense, create an anxiety about whether I'm worthy of being loved and cherished and cared for. And oftentimes when that, t- when that tends to happen, you know, we, 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 like me in that book, oftentimes makes a lot of, make a lot of mistakes in the process. Yeah. What's helped you like proactively um, see, see the roles or, or the scripts in your life, because, you know, uh, they happen, they can happen reactively. You know, we're introduced to, uh, you know, a new place where we go off to college or we move or mm-hmm. we enter mm-hmm. into a relationship, um, but they're still there, even if mm-hmm. we don't see them. And so I'm just curious, what, what's it been like for you um, or what have you seen has helped you proactively, like evaluate the scripts that have been handled, handed to you and going like, okay, this is a healthy script. This isn't a healthy script. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, great question. Number one, I think it's my wife. Number one, uh, <laughs> in in my book, people meet my wife, my beautiful, amazing, lovely wife, um, and they oftentimes meet us and meet her and meet me in ways that I failed her. Mm. So that's another way that I'm not a hero of the story. I wrote an honest story. There were times, as I write in the book, where looking now outside and reinterpreting and thinking about that, there were times where I love the praise of white people more than I love my wife. There were times where my mind was so caught up in ministry and being accepted and being praised and affirmed that oftentimes I put us in places that she never deserved and we never should have been involved in. Um, I responded and reacted in ways that were not um, careful and caring 
of her and where she was at. And so for me, you know, so much of the way I understand my own script and understand these stories was through my wife, was the ways in which she was honest with me about my own failures and my own faults, but also the ways in which like my wife affirmed me in the midst of all of that and even beyond that. So as much as my book, I ain't even never thought about this, bro, but on the real, like as much as my book is a story about the tension of living, my book is also a love story. Like it is, it is, it is a love story in some sense. Like it's a love story between me and my wife. It's a love story between me and my myself and blackness and black people. It's a love story between me and the world that I live in. Um, and, and I think, you know, the ways that we fail that love oftentimes teach us uh, and oftentimes hopefully offer opportunity for us to become more loving. Um, if we have the people around us and the wherewithal to be courageous to face ourselves uh, in, you know, our secret places, in the ways, in the places that, you know, where there is no hype, where there is no, no community, where there's just you, sometimes your journal, sometimes your God, sometimes just yourself. There's no prayer. There's no coffee. There's no nothing. It's just you're going to have to deal with you today um, and things like that. And so like that, that process which in my book is very messy. Uh, it is a messy process to understand those scripts. Um, it is not a, it's not a process that's like, okay, it's this way today. And now boom, everything changed. Cause you know, in, in areas of my story in this book, you know, situations happen and I stayed in those places, you know, and situations happen. I stayed in those places and over time, you know, I left, you know, over time I learned, but, you know, it wasn't like it wasn't like this, like triumphant story. And so I think, you know, my wife was a part was a huge part of that. And also my friendships and the support networks I had. But very much as you as you will read about in the book was the type of reading that I was doing. Um, as much as my book is memoir, there is a lot of kind of literary criticism in my book as well. And thinking about critical ways of understanding black literature, of understanding you know, non-Black literature, of understanding, you know, how do I uh, uh, interpret uh, other texts and make, generate meaning from those and, 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 and find ways to, to understand the world and to, to, in some sense, you know, belong in the world uh, or whatnot. So how do I embody my faith? How do I embody my humanity? How do I embody my liberation? A lot of that oftentimes was characterized in my wrestling, my deep wrestling with literature like Toni Morrison, Alice Walker, James Baldwin, um, and the likes. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about the spiritual value of rage. Woo! Man, how do I talk about that, bro? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's why, like, that's like, why you know. I would bring it up because it's such, it's such an intriguing idea. Um, and I yeah. love... I love things like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I think what I tried to wrestle with, you know, in, in, in thinking about rage, um, is is I wanted to think about that joint, like as a virtue and not as a vice. Mm-hmm. Like oftentimes when we come to literature, we ask the question of, what are the possibilities? when we look again 
you know, I, I'll never forget reading uh, Kevin Kwashi's incredible book, The Sovereignty of Quiet. And in this book, so the subtitle is called, uh, is, is entitled Beyond Resistance in Black Culture. And he starts off the book with the protests of, uh, um, of, of, of John Carlos um, and, and, and that famous protest at the Olympics. Um, and, and the ways in which, you know, they, the ways in which people read that protest um, and the ways in which, like, they misread that protest between Peter Norman, Tommy Smith, and John Carlos as their hands was raised, as, as John Carlos and Tommy Smith's hands were raised in the air with their fists balled up in their heads as Kwashi Rice bowed in prayer. And so we always are asking, when we think about life and looking at art and looking at literature and looking at faith and theology, we should always be asking, you know, as Anselm, uh, that, that the theologian of the past was seeking to do, faith-seeking understanding. What can be garnered? What can be gained when we look again? And so for me, as I was reading James Cone and James Baldwin um, in those very crucial moments of 2018 and 2017, and kind of those moments that people follow me throughout the book, like I knew that there had to be a better understanding of rage that did not like spiritualize emotion, nor diminish it, nor try to like contain it, but allow rage to speak to the full capacity of what it means to be human. And what does it mean for us to respond to a world that oftentimes is not built for us? And not just simply not built for us, but is actually actively against us. And so I wanted to wrestle with rage beyond the frameworks of like, hey, I'm angry, but in the end, Jesus is going to make it all right. I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to wrestle with like, Yo, I'm mad, I'm enraged, and I just want to feel it. I want to feel the full capacity of it in such a way that it does not destroy me, but also that it does not distract me. Because oftentimes, many times, the way people kind of spiritualize emotion is that it oftentimes distract us from the world that we live in because they, they, they kind of characterize this emotion as something that can destroy us. So I wanted to hold rage and tension. And so I think, you know, rage holds possibility to be a virtue when it allows me to critically understand the world that I live in, while also being able to imagine what can be possible for all of us. And so I'm reminded of the story of Nehemiah in chapter five, where Nehemiah in the Bible, you know, in the, in the Hebrew Bible, where Nehemiah's story simply says, when I heard what was happening, I was angry, or as other virgins would say, I was enraged. And this was not, this was not just an emotion that was characterized in the mind, but many of the ways in which Jesus was said to have compassion, that compassion grew up out of the bosom of a person. It was at the very seat of one's humanity. The same type of characterization of the language of Nehemiah's experience was the same thing, that it was in, it it consumed him 
in such a way that it became the way in which he was rooted and grounded in the experience of himself and the experience of others. So it kept, it was his rage that kept him connected to the humanity of other people. It wasn't his quote unquote spirituality, but it was his anger that kept him connected. But then that was not the only thing. Rage doesn't just keep me connected, but rage must also be constructive. So there's a, you know, I was enraged. I thought about it. I, I took some time, thought about it, and then I did something about it. So it was awareness that he had to have about what's going on, you know, but he also had to be active in it. And so as I look at our history, I knew that like rage could not be the whole story of my experiences within the world. I had to do some looking again at it as Kevin Kwashi invites us to do with Tommy Smith, John Carlos and Peter Norman. But I also knew in that looking again, I needed to allow rage to become a part of my spiritual vocabulary and my political practice in such a way that I did not run from it or others could not run from it as well. And so I would say that James Baldwin, James Cone, Kitty Cannon, Tony Morrison, Tony K. Bambara, Alice Walker, uh, uh, um, Emily Towns, uh, all the poets of old, even the prophets and Jesus, like these people, these, these people were enraged, you know, they were enraged, but their rage, you know, allowed them to embrace their humanity and the humanity of others and find ways to learn how to be free and walk in the fullness of what it means to be human and become better. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I, I want to make sure that I ask you about, um, it's so it's so apparent uh, throughout this conversation and even just throughout the book and even, uh, even following you on Twitter, one of the people that I can tell that you respect so much is James Baldwin. And yeah. I, I would love to hear... Um, just the impact and the influence that he has had on you. Mm. And uh, I won't, I, this won't be a comprehensive list because I know that we could probably do a whole episode just on yeah, this. Yeah. Um, but just some of the things that come to mind that yeah. he has, ha, has shaped your thinking and your, and your way of being on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. You, I, I don't even think that like, you know, that can be characterized in a sense because it just, it's it's like it's like you know I ain't gonna belabor like Bible too much you know or something like that but you know there's a story in First Samuel chapter ten where Saul is anointed king God tells him yo you're gonna come a part of this place you come gonna come upon this place you're gonna meet these people they're gonna be caught up in a prophetic frenzy and you're gonna be caught up in that frenzy as well it's gonna be like you are a different person. Or in some cases, some of the text says, you're going to become a different person. Mm. And so when I think about my life in Baldwin, it's very much similar to that biblical narrative where I also became a different person when I came in contact with James Baldwin. You know, when I think about Baldwin's faith and Baldwin's humanity and Baldwin being a black gay Christian man and, and what that means for me as a straight Black Christian man, as somebody who's trying to understand what it means, as I, as I write about, what does it mean to be Black and American and Christian? 
and understanding the ways in which across so many identities and understanding and experiences, those identities intersect in the most beautiful, but also terrible ways possible. Mm. Baldwin gave me critical frameworks and language uh, to understand my own experiences. Toni Morrison, if people don't read, well, there's so much to read from Toni Morrison, but. Yeah, we'll just say after after reading Shouting in the Fire, Hey, for real. Yeah, yeah, man, before you read Shouting in the Fire, don't even read my book. Like, like, so I ain't even, I ain't even doing that to myself. Like, nah, nah, Tony on the, Tony, Tony, nah, Tony, Tony is our own star. She's our own ecosystem, our own universe. Yeah. But like Tony Morrison's eulogy of James Baldwin spoke to me so deeply. And I, and I lost, I lost one of my really good friends not, not too long ago. I'm somebody who's just really influential in my life and 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 what kind of is getting me through that moment um and helping me make sense of it is Toni Morrison's eulogy of Baldwin. And I think about what what Toni Morrison wrote of him how like he gave language to what we knew to be true of ourselves but also he also gave us language to understand the world we live in. And she, she, I love the way she characterized. She says, he went into the forbidden places and he decolonized it and then gated it so that all of us Black people can walk into it. And I, I love that. And, that, and, that's, and that's true. What, 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 that, what, what Baldwin did for Morrison, Baldwin did for me. Mm-hmm. He went into the forbidden places. That oftentimes in the spaces that I was in, those forbidden places was not forbidden because, you know, they were so terrible, but they were forbidden because to go into those places and to venture in them would allow me and give me the courage to critically analyze where I was already rooted. And oftentimes when we have agency to understand our own stories and shape those stories, then oftentimes that run up against that runs up against you know power structures and power dynamics that's at work. And that's a part of like the Christian story. You know, it is a story, you know, as, as Willie Jennings beautifully writes about in the Acts commentary, you know, is a story that is in some sense, you know, you know, is 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 critiquing dominant stories. Uh, it's critiquing the ways in which you know people are telling us this is the way that you should be. You know, this is the way that things should go. And oftentimes these ways are oftentimes rooted in oppressive ideologies more than liberating faith. And so Baldwin for me, man, you know, he did do that. He went into a forbidden place and he beckoned me to come, much like Jesus. That's what Jesus did. Jesus went into that forbidden territory and he decolonized it and engated it so that all of us may walk in. That literally is the gospel. Like, I don't know what else is. Like, I don't know what's a better way to understand it, you know, the gospel, but you know, yeah, that's what, and, and I think if I'm if if I'm gonna speak about what Baldwin did, Baldwin did that for me. Mm. He gave me language, he, he helped me understand what it meant to be tender, what it meant to be loving. He gave me theology that I did not have before. Um, and in some sense, I mean he could just write his tail off. Um, and he gave me he gave me a type of writerly practice and writerly kind of catalog uh, to aspire to. That's why I'm trying to write as much as I can in some sense, you know, because I want people 
to look back on the type of writing that I'm doing and be able to say, okay, just like Giovanni's room or just above my head, you know, or whatever. I know I can't be Baldwin, you know, but I can, you know, I can't feel the shoes. Now I don't think any of us can, but as a pastor said uh, about one of my friends, Reggie Sharp, uh, he was preaching his anniversary service the other day. He says, those are big shoes to feel. You can't feel them shoes, but you can put your little shoes beside them and point them in the same direction. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so good. Well, we've covered so much stuff. Is there anything that we ha- that we haven't talked about that is just on top of mind that you want to make sure that we talk about? Nah, bro. I just want to make sure you got good content for your, oh, yeah. for your space. I want to make sure you oh, got yeah. good content for your space. We're good. Well, I know that people are going to want to continue to keep up with you and look out for any future writings from Dante as well. Where's the best place for people to go to get the book and keep up with you? Yeah. So just, I mean, the dope part about the algorithm algorithm right now is you can just Google it, you know, just Google (laughs) shouting and that thing will pop up. So I'm actually happy about that. (laughs) So just Google it. Just go. You can you can just search shouting in the fire. Uh, or search my name, Dante Stewart. You can find me or connect me on social media at Stuart Dante C um, or visit my website, um, DanteCStewart.com. And, you know, any of those will get you in the right direction um, to, to to purchase the book and, and stay connected with me. And hopefully, you know, as we walk this thing out together, um, that, that we all together as we connect with one another, uh, learn something about love and ourselves in the process. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today and just thanks for doing the work. Yeah, for sure, bro. Appreciate you, man. I think coming out of that conversation with Dante, there's two things. uh, (laughs) There's a lot of things, but there's two things that really uh, have stood out since that conversation for me. The first one is this, and I mentioned this earlier, the specificity that he gets into with vulnerability and sharing his his thoughts and his feelings and what he was going through and that and just the rawness isn't the right word because it seems like he's processed through again from you know from the reading and all of that but just the vulnerability in that and i guess vulnerability might be just the correct word for it, but just listening to that and you can at least for me i could hear and i could feel some of I could feel the pain from it that he was going through and that and the struggle and the tension that he had to live with. And I think the second thing is just his his dedication to learning from the people who have come before him and like digging into like and again there's there's so many other people but uh but Tony Morrison in the book and James Baldwin and learning from them and how much he's devoured their work and internalized it and made it his own and added his own thoughts to it as well and processed it. And he's, he's lived it out and thought through it. And um, both of those things are as a, as someone who, you know, creates content as someone who is, you know, trying to figure out um, their, their own, uh, stuff and putting stuff out into the world, it's very inspiring to me and very um, challenging in the best way possible. And so, yeah, that's kind of some of the things that I'm thinking about from that conversation. 
And so I would love to hear some of the things that you're thinking about from that conversation as well, uh, just because there's a lot there. And I would love to hear from you. And the best way to reach out to me is learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you, your thoughts on this episode, um, or just stuff that you would love us to cover in the future on the podcast as well. Um, I would appreciate a lot if uh, if you left a rating or write a review on whatever podcast player you're using. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to hit the follow button or hit the subscribe button, and you'll never miss an episode as well. And I think that's my be all that I have for today. I want to say a quick thanks to Garrett Oler for doing the editing of the podcast. Thanks to Sam Massey for providing the music for the podcast. Thanks to Dante once again for being on the podcast today. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the podcast. My name is Caleb Mason and until next time, keep learning and keep growing.